Yeah, I think this is probably, I told I told you before we started recording that this is probably the most unprepared I've been for a podcast before. And which is evidenced by the fact that it's like way over my time <laughs> limit. Um, but All those also, people who are complaining to us about our long podcasts. <laughs> I'll just have to go somewhere else for, <laughs> like a, a podcast app lets you pause and you can even it go does. listen to other podcast episodes and then come back and it'll just pick up right where you left off. So it's... See, at, but at this point in the podcast, we're just preaching to the choir because these people all listen to the whole thing. <laughs> the only people listening, unless I put this in at the very beginning. I like I put, yeah. I put it in. Oh, yeah, there you runner. go. There you go. <laughs> you, should, <laughs> you should just do it at the beginning um, to get everybody. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we reconcile our human experiences with God and his word, or at least we attempt to reconcile them. So that we can love God, love others from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. One of those things that is difficult is how do we process uh, when we've been taught something or we grew up in an environment, in a culture, and then we're shifting in that. And um, There's many different words for that today, but one of them, one of the most popular ones right now is deconstruction, and, and there's a lot of confusion, uh, because it seems like sometimes people who deconstruct end up deconverting, and so is deconstruction bad? Is there something malicious behind that? How do we do this well? Do we need to, uh, there's some emphasis on, it's we're done deconstructing, it's time to start constructing something better and building, and I think there's value in that, and actually really important, there's, there's absolutely no value deconstructing unless we're going to build something better but sometimes the emphasis on building something better can just kind of shut down the conversation processing an issue and how do we navigate that and I'm excited to have my brother Christopher Whitmer on Um, my brothers are definitely kind of my comrades and sorting through a lot of the things that eventually comes out in public setting whether it's through an article or through podcasts a lot of it has been hashed out with my brothers first and and this is a conversation we've talked a lot about especially Christopher has has a unique passion and burden for people who are processing faith processing doubts and and both of us have actually had a journey of reanalyzing reconsidering like what we were taught or maybe what we believed what we concluded as we read scripture so how do we do this well how do we walk the road with others and not just shut down conversation i'm excited to have this conversation with him it is the the complete episode is about two hours and 40 minutes two two and a half hours somewhere in there so you're getting about half of it here and uh, the the last half is a lot more in depth, a little more personal. Uh, I think it's very relevant to each of each of us. But uh, I decided for this, partly for the sake of time, and then partly for the sake of of just maybe those who really want more in depth help can, can get can get this uh, more intimate version. And so th- that's the last half. The full expanded version is just for podcast members unfeigned christianity members and so if you want to become a member it's just ten dollars a month you get access to all past present future uh expanded versions of podcast episodes as well as the deep dive essays that we produced just recently produced one on the head covering just go to asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and you'll see how you can sign up there www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member 
All right, here's my episode with Christopher. Well, hey, it's good to be here with my brother Christopher on Unfeigned Christianity. I think this is the fir- is this the first time you've been on the podcast? I think officially, yeah. I think we were on a Patreon or something that you did a video. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, patron only. Oh, I was on the singles singles podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I thought there was one. The end of 2020, there was a, yeah. a podcast I did with what three or four other single. Yeah, there were four of us. Single people. And uh, now, ironically, two of them are no longer single and planning to get married next month. Uh, who would that be? <laughs> My fiance, Kimberly. Um, so, yeah, it's good to have you on. We, uh, a few years ago, uh, was that 2019? We were on, you, you did the Third Way podcast for a little while. Yeah. And 20, yeah, 20. I think, yeah, yeah. Invited me to be a part of that for what? What did we do? Six, six episodes or so? We did eight episodes. Yeah. Oh, eight. Okay. That was a lot of fun. I'm sad that yeah. I, uh, I'm sad that I neglected that. No, yeah, it was fun. It was good. I don't know if that uh, I could have kept on going much longer, especially if I, because that was right around the same time I started this. And so, oh, yeah. To, uh, you and Titus. Yeah, we both kind of started our own podcast after you got us going. I launched I launched you guys. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I had I had been planning to start a podcast. <laughs> Your platform was much bigger than the third ways. <laughs> but yeah, no, third way kind of helped me see how easy it actually was to kind of yeah. do it. So yeah, well, I have been we have been talking about getting on here we have i don't know how many of my audience knows my family i i kind of assume people do but um i come from a family of five three boys and two girls and i'm smack in the middle that's why i'm such a well-rounded folk um (laughs) and i'm kidding if people don't if people can't catch sarcasm there's probably going to be a lot of might be a lot of sarcasm today because that's kind of the a little bit the language of our family sometimes and especially me and my brothers and so christopher is the youngest in our family probably the most uh good looking and the most popular i don't know Uh, (laughs) definitely the most artistic yeah or uh truly true artist i think like can sit down with a blank slate and something beautiful comes out (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I have bugged my brothers multiple times about coming on my podcast, sort of like sort of like I have a different close people of mine. And uh, I was going to say sort of like I have my wife, but I didn't know if she wanted me to spill that <laughs> on the air. <laughs> well, now it's there. I can go edit it out. Um, That's true. And now, yeah, we're uh, making it happen, at least uh, at least with Christopher. Kind of what got us going is there's been a lot of conversation around 
deconstruction lately. It's interesting. Deconstruction is not a new term. It's, you know, even, even the idea of deconstructing your faith, I think has been around, you know, several years now, but about a year ago or the last couple of years, I've, I've gone through just a season of life where I rethink and reevaluate a lot of things. Um, and that kind of led me to a year ago, begin another book, which some, some of my audience would know that, especially if you're a patron, um, it, the working title is unfolding faith and just kind of talking about like our, sometimes we view faith as like a destination that you, you're going to come to and you arrive to. And mm-hmm. reality is faith is relationship with Jesus and, and, just like any relationship in life in general, it, it unfolds over time, like new things happen and new experiences. And so unfolding, like, like um, something that was bound up and now you're unfolding it and you're seeing it more fully and looking at it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a couple chapters into that book, kind of writing it. And, and uh, it was like f- September of 2021 maybe all of a sudden a huge conversation started happening around deconstruction. I didn't really think I was writing a work of deconstruction. Um, more just talking about how my faith has been shaped or, mm-hmm. or changed, but you have, you, um, you have, you, we, in the conversation of deconstruction, especially as brothers, as we talk about it, um, you are someone who fairly openly talks about deconstruction and can really identify with some of the, yeah, I, I'm going to say this and then you can just speak for yourself because sure. <laughs> maybe I'm misrepresenting, but um, can really identify with some of the, the people that have ended up what we, what we would, might better call deconverting where they just walk away from, jesus completely and and just Mm -hmm. to clarify when you say you identify with that not not necessarily that i sense that you're deconverting but the original questions and problems that Mm -hmm. that kind of led them to to reconsider their faith um Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense and there's been some articles and stuff even conversations on facebook and so other social media where people push back and like that you shouldn't it's time to stop deconstructing and now we need mm-hmm. to build something, reconstruct and, and uh, your voice, at least in my life has been, cause I, I think I, I've tended to maybe I, and this is maybe goes back to you being more of a true artist. You're, you're okay with some uncomfortability and like not sure where this picture is going. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm, I may be a little bit more like needing something certain and, and like to have some predictability or like see where I'm going. And so I think just as, as brothers, that conversation has, has, uh, I've really valued the conversation, um, with you and actually like some of your own discussion on it has been a part of my own journey too, because I think sometimes we can be, things can be going on internally that we either we don't have words for, or we're not really letting ourselves acknowledge because we're afraid of where it might go. And, um, and, 
And so I have found it helpful to kind of talk through some of these things with you. I don't know what, what would you add to that? I think, I think generally I'll just quickly say this and then I'll let you talk, but um, it feels like there's a growing division. <laughs> Can you hear my boys out here? Yeah. They're kind of try to bleed that out in the editing. No, that's fine. Um, just a second. <laughs> Okay. Um, what was I saying? Um, you um, you were about to hand it over to me, but oh you yeah, had a thought. I think some of what led to this actual recording, perhaps, is has just been. It seems like there's a growing. Uh, false dichotomy perhaps like people Mm -hmm. people not even even just books coming out about like as if deconstruction is an intentional that that might frame it as if deconstruction is an intentional process to lead people to deconvert or like unraveling of faith and as if there's almost some some of the articles and stuff that have come out almost make it sound like there's a specific agenda behind it um yeah And, and so then it makes it difficult for people who are actually processing and wrestling with some of these things to even know who to talk to. Yeah. Um, And even know, because, because it's assumed that you start questioning, you know, things like, yeah, we're going to get into some specifics, but if you start questioning some things of your faith that you're automatically headed toward uh, where we're like, um, is it Michael Gunger or like yeah. some, some of the popular singers, Josh Harris, Josh yeah. Harris, Andrea Saad, like some of these more popular Christian or formerly Christian artists, preachers, speakers who are now like don't identify as Christian anymore. I don't know. You, you had your thoughts, like what, where, where are you coming at from this conversation and what would you change of what I said? Yeah, I am. Um... I resonate a lot with that. Um, I like, like one thing, one thing that I've kind of been processing, like the reality, you know, people talk about how it's, it's a new phenomenon. It's, it's a new fad, you know, everyone's doing it. My whole timeline is deconstructing or whatever. And, and I get why people say that. I think part of the reason for that is because suddenly now people have language to put to something that has been happening for centuries. Um, But especially probably that has been happening for the last couple of decades. Um, I think, I think we knew, we knew that particularly millennials and younger generations were leaving the church as in at least the, the structured church. Um, you know, Barna has been talking about this, different, different people have been writing about this, you know, for the last couple of decades. Um, and, and so th- that tells me that, that the deconstruction process, as I know it, has been happening for a while. Um, but we didn't have Facebook and Twitter and we didn't specifically have like a broad understanding of, of 
de- of the language of deconstruction. And, and I, I don't think, I think we, I think we're still a little bit tied down to that word a little bit too much. And I would love to see us use more um, specific terms, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think for me, the, the process I don't remember when I first heard the term deconstruction, um, but it it was it was kind of like in I think it was like 2020, maybe 2019, where I first started was like, man, maybe maybe I am, or maybe I can identify with this more than I thought. But then I think it was in 2020 where I first articulated, you know, I think I've been de- deconstructing for a few years, um, and. And like language that I would have used in my early teens is maybe, you know, I'm going through like a spiritually dry period or like I'm, um, I'm, I'm wrestling with doubts. Like those are all things that I, I was doing. I was just talking to you about the book Tables in the Wilderness by Preston Yance. It was a book I read, came out in 2014. It was a book I read a couple of years after it came out probably. Preston or Philip? Um, Preston Yancey. Did I say Philip? No, Philip Yancey is the other Yancey. Yeah. The first first time you told me it was Philip. Did I say Philip? Yeah. Yeah. No, they're two very different people. (laughs) Um, That's why, that's why I chuckle because I've gotten them mixed up before. Um, Preston has written like two books maybe, Um, but he wrote, he wrote about his own faith journey in essentially, he didn't use this language, but he deconstructed like, I think conservative Baptist, baptism and now he's like anglican or something i'm not sure where exactly he's at but um but i remember reading that in like 2015 or 16 and really resonating with it because i was i had all these struggles and doubts about my faith and like why wasn't i experiencing certain things and i think in that process i was moving towards more charismatic settings where there was maybe more of a promise of experiencing spirituality and then and then i mean that's oversimplifying it but um it's kind of a summarization and then and then that ended up being kind of hurtful and disappointing and turned out to not be really what i was looking for and um so so like i i guess i just say all that to to say that like, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I think the term deconstruction has been popularized in the last couple of years, but, but I, I think the processes that people are going through are actually common to history and common to man. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember talking to Eric Miller, um, who I I think you've had, have you had him on? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've had him. He, um, I, I think it was soon after it was soon after Josh Harris or somebody, maybe it was a more recent person deconverted and like publicly announced it. And, and I was asked, so like, what do you think about this? Um, we happened to be in person um, at a conference and he just didn't seem super phased by it. And was just like, this is, you know, this is people have left the faith since the beginning, you know, since Jesus mm-hmm. And that was that was really profound for me to to think through that, and it's like okay, like this is this is actually 
something that has happened throughout history is that people have wrestled with the faith and left the faith. Um, and I don't have to be like freaked out about it and like try to protect everybody that I love. Cause it's, it's, I mean, we don't like it, but it, it's kind of probably just going to happen. Um, and, and so then to me, the question becomes, how do I walk with people and how do I myself walk through these journeys? Obviously, if, if we love Jesus and believe in like the basic tenets of Christianity, we're going to care about people and want them to like find freedom and find security and love in Christ. But like it, it I guess it changes rather than being this protective thing. I don't want anyone to deconstruct because I don't want them to leave the faith. It becomes a thing of like, I want people to experience genuine faith. And how can we do that? I guess. I don't know. I feel like yeah. I was kind of rambling there a little bit. I don't know if I, yeah, no, that's good. There's a couple things that, that you brought up that, that I wanted to kind of touch on. Maybe I'll highlight three before yeah. we get going further. Um, one, one of them is just to emphasize again that yes, the word deconstruction has been popularized to, to be identified with something pretty specific today. Uh, mm -hmm. And even in even today, like there's, there's a particular way people who talk about those who deconstruct, they mean yeah. something by that. And then there's people who actually say I'm deconstructing who mean yeah. something. And it's not usually the same thing. Um, sometimes someone say says I'm deconstructing, and they they end up deconverting. And that's usually what people who talk about those who deconstruct are referring to, yeah. like, as if they're totally walking away from the faith, but that's not near what everybody means. Um, who is actually in the process of doing that or, or would self identify as like, yeah, I'm, I'm deconstructing or something. Um, and so I think that's, I just raise that to anybody hearing that term, like before you get bristled, if you get bristled, yeah, recognize that you're probably thinking of a definition for that term that's fairly narrowed and so just ask ask more questions yeah. get to know get to know the person you're talking to or or whoever you're talking about like actually get to know that person as as a person even if it's someone you may never meet personally like go read what they're writing about talking about don't just follow somebody who creates caricatures of of the people even the joshua harris's that you know, obviously, I, I do not I personally have unfollowed from Facebook. Um, there's another there's an author that I really liked his work, just as what he talked about as as a writer and, and I followed him for years. And he has pretty much done the same thing. He got a divorce and, and, uh, and it's just like, man, it, it is just gut wrenching. Because I really liked his work. But now it's so f infiltrated with kind of this more, uh, toxic mixture of just not just questions but like actually trying to reframe uh the life in general and even like kind of just excuse any need for jesus and so so i unfollowed him you know it's it's um not that he was even that overtly christian in, in what he wrote about before but yeah there's my point is that there, there are people out there who are primarily talking about people and 
And then there are people out there who listen to those people and not actually engaging the the person themselves to see what they're talking about or what they're doing. And sometimes that's a more public figure that you'll never meet personally. Sometimes that's a close friend right next to you. And it's always best just to get to know them and, and hear how they're using the term. The, uh, the other thing that I thought about, um, I knew I was going to forget it with what you were talking about. I think this is what I was thinking. Um, Is that a lot of, like, if we grow up in a place that in a community and environment where where you're not exposed to many different types of worldviews, many Mm -hmm. different perspectives on life, this could be anything like it doesn't have to be in inherently Christian, but even within the Christian community, if, if we're not exposed to other Christians who just simply disagree with us on some theology, but in, in a way that we recognize that they are filled with the spirit of God, they're, they're uh, life-giving Christians. If we grow up in a very narrowed environment, we will, I mean, this is true, even, even if we grow up in a broad environment yeah. and we face something new, like we will kind of deconstruct and, and reconsider like, oh, yeah. I hadn't bumped into this before. But it's all the more amplified when you come from a narrow community. And so sometimes our, our, um, our default or like the way we try to solve this is by constricting the conversation and, mm-hmm. and you're actually perpetuating what could turn into deconversions by doing that rather yeah. than walking down the road with them a little bit and being the person yeah. talking with them through that. If you're, if, if you're kind of bristled and you're like wanting to make sure that we're headed to a particular end and you're not willing yeah. to just kind of walk down the mystery of like, Hey, I don't know where all these questions are coming from, but you're asking the questions right now and I'm going to interact yeah. with you on them. We, we actually are most likely perpetual or like speeding up the process of what could lead to deconversion yeah so like i I think that's what a lot of yeah there's there's a lot of people who are who come from more traditional or conservative backgrounds i wouldn't say we necessarily came from super traditional or conservative backgrounds but we did still live in a world where one particular narrative of theology yeah. was predominant and not it's like hey i i completely hold to a more anabaptist theology um i i i'm okay with yeah. with identifying that you know what of as i do theological study i kind of fall more in this camp personally yeah. i'm not saying it's wrong to do that but there's books there's people yeah. that i converse with and read to um to interact with and try to challenge my own thoughts and presuppositions and stuff and, and so that's kind of what i'm talking about or what i think yeah. we are talking about with that and then the the third thing i was going to discuss is you you mentioned more specific terms and here a few days ago on facebook you had actually thrown out some some other terms um you said some alternative language that may help to clarify the broad category of deconstruction, disassembling, intentional examination, investigating, 
reevaluation, spotlighting, revealing, dismantling, methodical deconversion, questioning, doubting. Did you have more thoughts behind that or, or is that? So, yeah, I um, that that's actually an idea that came from that was inspired by I didn't necessarily exactly come from, but it was inspired by the hell um, dialogical debate that happened at the Exiles in Babylon conference. Oh, okay. um, Preston Sprinkles Theology in the Raw conference that we were we both attended. Um, Which is where we got our sweatshirts, by the our way. matching sweatshirts. Um, <laughs> it was not intentional to wear them today. But he, the um, the first guy, the Eternal Conscious Torment guy, went over all of the views of hell, and he I think he basically did three broad categories, which is the ones that you hear mostly converse. You know, universalism, eternal conscious torment type things i forget what he called them for sure but then like a conditional immortality annihilationism type perspective of hell and then underneath those he had like subgenres of hell in like and so I, I realized like that's a completely fair way to frame hell in the in the sense of like we tend to think oh eternal conscious torment you guys all think this you know thing about god when there's actually a lot of nuance between the different ways people view the eternal consciousness of people mm. suffering and there's a there's a really broad view of universalism as well like there's anyways there, there were like a dozen subgenres of of hell and i thought you could you know the same thing is kind of going on in the deconstruction debate in that we're using this binary of like you're either deconverting or you're a faithful christian and like you there, you can't be there's no room for like doubt or whatever and in reality if someone's saying they're deconstructing that doesn't necessarily mean that they're deconverting it also doesn't necessarily mean that they want to deconvert it also doesn't necessarily mean that they that that they don't want to deconvert like like there's all of these different people and so i was trying to come up with language to describe hmm. Mm -hmm. what so like there's some people who may want to deconvert from the outset and either some people might just jump there right away and just be like i'm out some people may go through the process of like i should figure this out first but i am not really interested in christianity there's some people who maybe want to deconvert but are in an environment where it's socially unacceptable to deconvert and so they're like in a slow like easing their way out but then there's some people who may end up deconverting, but are trying to hold on to faith. And for whatever reason, it's tough. There's some people that may be like, I would fall in this camp where I really, really, like, I really like Jesus. And I really want to figure it out. But like, there's a lot of questions and a lot of like, disappointed expectations and pain and and then like sometimes i get caught up in like you know the details of of like is this true and how do i know it's true and how can i ever know it? you know and so what i am needing to do is like i get it that deconstruction it sounds like destruction like it sounds like just the word itself probably gives people pause because it sounds like you're just taking a sledgehammer 
Um, hmm. But usually if, even in the real world, if you don't typically refer to like a house being deconstructed, like usually yeah. that, you if, call if, that demolition or something. Yeah. You call it yeah. demolition or destruction. Usually deconstruction implies in my mind, like a kind of a methodical piece by piece, like, like that. Um, wasn't it grandpa's, our, our grandpa's barn that like they basically took down piece by piece. Maybe that wasn't his, maybe it was somebody else's, but like I've heard of, I've heard of houses. He saved, like I know, he's, he's saved lots of nails. Let's just yeah, he definitely way. saved lots of nails. But I, I think we we actually have a have friends in Minnesota who they built their house by deconstructing a building from town. They and and their payment was that they were allowed to keep all of the the parts. Um, have you heard this story? Yeah, I don't want to yeah. say. Okay, okay. Um, and and so they they methodically took it all apart and then went and built their house out of those materials and that's in my mind that's more what i see going on it might not be a perfect picture but like yeah. it's this idea where you're not you're not wanting to destroy it you don't want to just like rip things apart and like take a sledgehammer but you're disassembling it um and i think very, so, so that you can look at it and you can see, yeah. okay, there's rot over here. We're going to throw that away and, you know, we're going to save this. Just from a linguist, linguistic standpoint, that's actually the, the most proper use of the term. Yeah. Like to, to, to assume that it means destruction is actually not to, yeah. it's to misunderstand what the, the word altogether. But go ahead and yeah. finish. So I was in the middle of a swallow. Oh, <laughs> I really hate it when people swallow on podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. Yeah. Like that. So the disassembling, maybe someone prefers an intentional examination. Like, like I, I was told by a mentor figure, he wasn't like a full-time mentor or whatever, but I was at a Bible, Bible school and he was a professor there. And he literally told me to, to sometime in my you know, solitude to write down everything that I believe to list down. Okay. You know, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And, and to be specific, like I'm kind of being broad, but to be specific, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And, and he told me to list all of those things down. And then I think he probably specifically said, you know, look to scripture and figure out why you believe those things. Um, but but I would also you know take it broader and like say yeah look to scripture. But then if you're if you're wrestling with whether or not you believe scripture, you're also going to need like more you know external reasons also for why you think scripture is a valid authority. But um, but basically to say like I think he was basically teaching me how to deconstruct, even though I. Th- I imagine he would probably reject that term. I don't know. It's been years since I've talked to him, but, um, mm. did, and so intentional examination, maybe someone prefers that language. Um, internalization is another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it basically it refers to the process, whatever you identify with more, it refers to the process of like taking, taking your faith and then examining 
okay, what are these specific things that I believe? Why do I believe them? Is it right that I believe them? Is it good that I believe them? Or, or is it actually, you know, perpetuating harm or whatever, you know, there's a lot of questions we, we would need to ask. Um, and, so, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Finish. No, no, I was, I was just going to say, and so, so like, I was just trying to come up, there's actually other ones that I've thought of later, like decolonization could be one. Um, well, yeah. An- another word that, that refers to the process that's going on. Yeah. I mean, the re- the reality is like de- deconstruction is what you said to like to construct something is to yeah. build something to deconstruct it is to take it down. And it's not to demolish it. That's a completely different word. And there's many different things that lead someone to take it down or to pull it apart and see it. like I used to do handyman work. And a lot of my handyman work would be like, oh, there's a leak or there's something going on behind the wall there and so i'd i'd have to i'd have to tear it apart and obviously if it's something in a wall when it goes to the drywall like i'm gonna be tearing that apart but i don't just like start cutting in through wires and studs and all of that like i'm gonna methodically like there is an aspect that i'm tearing in and i'm gonna have to yeah put put a patch back in but but I'm very carefully trying to find what what's causing the problem and you know, what might be the way forward. Um, and so we we're going through life and we bump into, it might be bumping into a new perspective. It might be having doubts about God. It might be learning a fuller representation of history where we realize we benefit from colonization across the world. And so then we're trying to grapple with like, what, what is a better representation of history, which then affects how because of how much theology has been influenced by white western theology whether we're talking western european to all the way here to america um like any number of those things or maybe it could be a death of a loved one or your parents getting divorced or like you having tremendous passion and excitement for something and then one day waking up and it feels gone and you're wondering what happened to that so there's all kinds of things that lead us to begin you kind of tear through the drywall in there and you start inspecting like what's going on, what, what happened here. Um, And it's interesting. I was just reading like the, the definition on dictionary.com for deconstruction is it's a philosophical and critical movement starting in the 1960s and especially applied to the study of literature that questions all traditional assumptions about the ability of language to represent reality and emphasizes that a text has no stable reference or identification because words essentially only refer to other words. And therefore a reader must approach a text by eliminating any metaphysical or ethnocentric assumptions through an active role of defining meaning, sometimes by a reliance on new word construction, etymology, puns, and other wordplay. That's actually... Why are you That's smiling? A lot. <laughs> well, it's just a lot. Well, it's to, a lot. But like it, it, um, it, it really, I, I think, does a really good job yeah. of, of grasping what's actually happening here. Yeah. So essentially, words refer to other words. And wor- the meanings of words are shaped by, by um, our, like how we understand you know, metaphysical meanings and our cultural in interpretations or definitions of those words 
So, uh, you know, this is just a very basic example. Um, in some parts of the country, pop means a, a sweet drink that's carbonized that you, that you drink. In other parts of the country, pop yeah. means like the sound, something went pop. Yeah. Um, and so that's a word and it's referring to other words. So sweet drink, carbonized, like that's other words, pop is referring to those. Um, the sound something went pop like an explosion or a you know a, a, a gunshot <laughs> yeah I don't know what you might describe or a, you go over you're riding bike and you go over a nail and it goes pop like you're referring to other descriptors other words and we're all meaning something different based on our context yeah. so so we can't assume that words that we're using in a conversation are meant the way I immediately assume. So to intentionally define meaning, and sometimes we define meaning by relying on new word construction, which is really, really good because there's some people who do not like any introduction of like new language or new terms. Um, yeah. They, they would say things that like that's, you, that leads you to believe that people are trying to push a new agenda by introducing new terms. And it's true that one way to push an agenda is to introduce new terms. But it's also true that to better understand what we're talking about, right. we sometimes need to introduce new terms. And so we can't just assume that one thing is happening. Um, so another way we define or another thing we need to define intentionally define is meaning and then um, etymology, which is like the, the construction of a word puns and other word play. Yeah. And so like, obviously that's specifically talking about literature, but that's very much what's going on with faith as well. And like, what are we talking? Like, I find it interesting that you, would have used language like doubts for some of the things you now say you're deconstructing. Um, because I was your older brother at the time where you were talking about doubts <laughs> and doubts to me was something much bigger than what I deconstruct, like things that I deconstruct. So I don't know. Uh -huh. I don't know if that means like I, I wouldn't, I, I would feel free saying I'm deconstructing complementarianism right now sure but i'm not doubting like the the biblical sure. view of marriage or like the uh the or, or even definitely not doubting whether god is real and stuff like that so i'm curious just as kind of like we we haven't ever talked about this before yeah. i'm curious are you saying that your doubts back then were doubts of specific definitions for you know obviously you weren't thinking of the role of marriage or like the men and women's roles, or are you saying that your deconstruction is involves like bigger questions about God and, and, and faith in general? Yeah. Um, that is a good question. I, a couple thoughts. Um, I think, I think it might depend on when you ask me, <laughs> but like I, I do think it has involved some of those questions, um, 
and I want to come back to that, but maybe a better way to say it is that when I was struggling with just this nebulous, like doubt, like, um, struggle with my faith where it's like, why, you know, why can't I, um, you know, where, where did my, you know, so like my journey in like in my mid to late teens, I feel like was some of the most intense spiritual fervor that I ever had. And then that fervor just kind of disappeared. And, and so there was this season of like 17, 18, 19, well, maybe more 18, 19, 20s, where I, I was, it was like, where did that fervor go? Like, like it was still there, but like just slowly fading. And I was like, where is it going? Why? Like I'm doing all this praying and fasting. You know, where is it going? I think that's the best way to describe my season of doubt. Mm. And it may be a better way to describe it is that I should have deconstructed rather than just like trying to like read, read more scripture and spend more time in prayer not saying those are bad things, but maybe I would have been better off if I would have been able to like sit down and deconstruct, okay, what do I believe about? Like, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is, and not saying that I didn't do these things. I'm sure I did these things, but I, maybe I would have been better off if I would have done it much more methodically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, just to, to paint a little context, like you, you have actually been like, I'm the one in Bible college now, but you have more methodically like read scripture and like a, a lot than I did before Bible college. Um, you would do the 90 day, I yeah. forget what it's called, read the Bible in 90 days or yeah. whatever. Um, and, and you would do specific things and so it's it's been interesting in life like to watch watch um watch you wrestle with some doubts when it in like if if like sometimes though tr- the trite responses is just to press into god's word or you know spend right. draw spend more time with god um that that can actually and maybe you want to flesh that out a little bit more but you know, that depending on what the kind of base questions you're wrestling with, that may actually cause more questions and more frustration. And I'm not at all suggesting that, oh, so the solution is to not do that. Yeah, I'm suggesting the solution is to walk with somebody through that process of of asking those questions rather than just tell them, spend more time in God's word or something. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? And no, I think, I think you're right. And And there's also the dynamic of like, I was struggling with depression, you know, I was struggling with grief, you you know, Mm -hmm. my, you know, when I was 16, our mom was killed suddenly. And, and I think I was also dealing with like physical trauma from not only that grief, but also from our accident that like only six to eight years later, am I realizing, you know, I actually, I probably have some physical trauma from that accident. Um, and your, your, your body does remember stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, and, yeah. 
the the body keeps the score is kind of i started reading it and then i quit reading because it, it was too hard um which probably indicates that it's right um okay. I, I don't know i sh- I, I i don't know I want to down. I want to downplay my trauma because, like, I know people, like, especially the body keeps the score. You know, deals with much greater trauma. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but, any, anyways, like, so, I, so, like, I think for people, like, there's also a lot more than just like intellectual and emotion. Well, yeah, a lot more things than just intellectual things going on. There's also real trauma, either like physical things that someone has gone through or spiritual abuse i mean the moment you enter in like a like a pat like a pastor or someone in authority using either the bible or spiritual language or just their spiritual authority or their position in church to manipulate or abuse or in any way like harm you then wrestling through faith becomes so incredibly messy because because just the act of opening up scripture could Mm. trigger trauma like could trigger trauma responses and 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 not so much yeah not so much because of necessarily what the scripture says but because of how the scripture was like who who used it and and the agenda they were kind of trying to bring about and use through using yeah. it yeah that that can be really difficult for someone who's experienced that to sort through because it could feel like the things that are being said is what you're you know yeah. like you're reading scripture and you're having all these emotions and you're wondering why the answer could be as simple as you know scripture was used to abuse you but it it might not seem that clear because they haven't been able to process through all of it or haven't been given space or whatever, you know? Well, and someone using scripture for spiritual abuse or manipulation is going to use passages that seem to make yeah. their point. They're just going to leave out all the other passages that contradict the way they're using it or the, the yeah. point they're trying to make. And so, yeah, it, it will look like scripture actually says that and that, is very triggering or something yeah yeah so like like there was there was a lot going on in my heart and mind and soul that you know people probably aren't thinking when when they when they hear people who are critical of people deconstructing apparently aren't thinking through like all of the different things that may be contributing to their Mm-hmm. to the struggle of, of deconstruction the struggle of why is it so hard to believe and why is it so hard to just you know read more scripture and whatever like like you know I, I think about different friends of mine who have who are deconstructing or have deconstructed or in that genre of journey that like when I think through their stories like they they have spiritual trauma like I'd, yeah. I'd, 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 I I would be very careful I, I maybe shouldn't phrase it so assertively because that's, you know, for them and, and a counselor and their, you know, immediate community to like process through. But like, mm-hmm. just from my perspective, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they have spiritual trauma. And so then they move into a new situation 
where they're still trying to get close to Jesus and they're moving into this new community and they have these struggles and these doubts and these triggers and like things and this new community is like, well, just read scripture more. And, and, and then it's just like this whole thing of like, you don't understand and they might not even be able to articulate what is going on. Cause they might not even entirely know themselves that they have trauma. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's a whole aspect of it that I see a lot, even, you know, I follow a bunch of different Christians on Twitter who, who I see deconstruction happening through. And a lot of their stories involve some sort of spiritual abuse, maybe actual like spiritual abuse is actual abuse, but like maybe physical, sexual, some sort of abuse that's going on. And like, these stories are not like, you can't just answer those, you know, that pain with, you know, read more scripture, spend more time in prayer. Yeah. Um, And that, like it, the the dichotomy that's that's always presented is as though like for you to say you can't just answer it with read more scripture or spend more time in prayer people think you're saying jesus isn't enough and like yeah jesus is sufficient well no it's not it's not at all what it's saying um reading scripture and spending time in prayer is a medium for encountering jesus and sometimes uh, mm-hmm. according to scripture, one of the, the primary ways for encountering Jesus is by having brothers and sisters come along and bear a burden mm-hmm. with you and walk with you mm-hmm. and just sit with you in your grief or in your, your questions. And so, yeah, like I, I think you're absolutely right in that mo- two things. One is most people who are deconstructing something, there's something else going on. Um, that is just making it effect. So maybe they were in an accident. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they just came through a hard yeah. breakup where it seemed like all oh, get out. God had answered all the signs of, of you're supposed to pursue this person for marriage. And it didn't turn out that way. Or, um, maybe you, you uh, felt led of God to enter a ministry or start a ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and then it fell apart. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I know, uh, one of the things that I, I have wrestled with is Christianity is called to a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. And I have been caught in the middle of several um, conflicts among people I love and respect and longing for there to be reconciliation. And um, some, some of those major ones, I have yet to see any form of reconciliation. Yeah. And so why, like, why, why doesn't that happen? Is that, yeah. Is that not real? Like it's those kinds of things that lead to a a beginning to re-examine like what was I understanding yeah. or what was I looking at? And so it's not enough to just say go read scripture or go spend time in prayer, because you you were we were doing that and we have a human experience that has now challenged the conclusions that we came away from our time in prayer, from our time in God's word. And so now we're trying, now we need someone to process all of that with. Um, And so the other thing is, so there's other things going on that lead to deconstruction, but the other thing is 
of the people that I know who have gone through deconstruction or who really wrestle with doubt, faith, they're usually some of the most hungry and wanting, like wanting. Yeah. Um, and this actually leads me to, I, I made a, a question earlier about in our relationship, I would see you as someone who's maybe a little more okay being in mystery. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but, I, but I also think in my journey, like, I think if I, like, I just haven't, so some of the faith questions that you've had or others close to me have had, I just haven't had. And I, I, I cannot pinpoint a specific, like, you know, I, I definitely feel the story of scripture is amazing and beautiful mm-hmm. and is the number one reason why I continue to come back to scripture and, and, mm-hmm. and follow Jesus. But it's not like that is, is what staved away all doubts and, and questions i just i just haven't had them for some reason and and so i don't know if i'm trying to figure out how to articulate what i'm saying um like some people who end up deconverting almost strike me as not actually being okay with mystery like sometimes it's framed that like, oh, we need to just be okay with mystery. Not everything is easy to answer, mm-hmm. but sometimes it can feel like the people who walk away are actually like really, they need something certain yeah. and their way of solving the mystery was just to completely rewrite the story and say that yeah. doesn't exist. Is that yeah. true? Or is it like, what is the role of? I I, I think like it, it's difficult to talk in um to to talk about those scenarios because primarily who we're referring to are like the famous ones and so like people I think, we haven't actually right talked with and walked with yeah yet. um i mean there there are a couple who i'm thinking of that i have had conversations with they're not yeah just famous but i don't you're right i don't know them real super closely and don't know the whole of their story I think that, like, I, I think your observation seems to be true in in, in a general sense. Um, like, like I've I've thought about it. Like, like it would be it would be foolish for me. I'm I'm sure people are going to freak out to hear me say this, but it would be foolish for me to say that there is no chance that I would deconvert and. <laughs> I've I've talked to Kimberly. Kimberly and I have both talked about this. Um and may, maybe this is too private of thoughts to put publicly, but I'm I'm just saying like I, I just I don't know how one can can could stand there and say like there's no way that I'll ever deconvert. Like that's just I don't know. It seems like an unnecessary assertion to say. And just to to clarify that you're saying that because there are questions you bumped into as a 25 year old that you, you didn't realize you would ask as a 19 year old. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So like, so, so the, the idea that there's no question in the future that could again, unsettle me, or there's no like trauma or pain or experience that I could go through that would finally just be like, I don't care. I'm just going to give up. 
it's but so let me counter all that by saying it is very hard for me to ever imagine not believing in God, not believing in a higher power. Like I don't even I don't even know how to do that other than to just live in willful dis I'm going to say disobedience, but like willful like uh, you know, I kind of believe in you, but I'm not going to follow you type thing. Like that's that's the only thing I can envision, the only way I I would live. Um anyways, all that to say that if someone would see, like, let's say I go through like a Josh Harris experience and something in my thirties totally sets me off. Cause I'm not 30 yet and totally disillusions me. And like every community of Christians that I've seen ever seen just totally disappoints. And it turns out they're complete frauds. And I hit my forties and I've deconverted for someone to look at me and say, you've never you've you must have never really struggled with the truth or like really struggle struggled through the faith would would be a pretty be a pretty pretty hard slap in the face to like who i was in my teens and who i am now like does that make Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. um because there's all that struggle and that journey and the tears and the frustrations and the conversations and the books and the writings and um it it was you know all of those Mm -hmm. things that i've gone through are have been genuine and um anyways i forget exactly what i was responding to but but basically this this idea that um If like, I think if I would deconvert now, whatever, just people are just gonna have to be okay with the the awkward, uncomfortable tension of that statement. But if I were to deconvert now, where I am now, it would be because I'm tired of the struggle. But that's just me. Like that's that's um. And I, and I would I would not want anyone listen and I'm sure there will be people listening to this who who could even feel hurt by that um because that wasn't their story and so I want to give room for people who genuinely deconvert and and people might not understand what that means but like they genuinely feel like they've assessed everything and they cannot believe in the Bible or in God um but for me, if I were to deconvert now, it would be because I'm just tired of all the questions. I'm tired of Christians. <laughs> I'm tired of, um, and honestly, like, I don't think that would solve my struggle. Like, I, I feel like I have a nature that just like is always struggling. <laughs> and, and that's probably some of that's nature, but a lot of that, a lot of that is because, is because like there's things I need to emotionally work through. Like, like there's pain in my past that actually it feels maybe like it has to do with God, but it actually has just more to do with like processing pain and trauma. Yeah. I, uh, I have like, there's our other brother, Marcel, who we should have pulled into this conversation as well. Um, It's really what? awkward. 
well, it's really awkward to have on a podcast. I'll edit it out. <laughs> As you listen to this, we should have had you too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, some, something Marcel has often said, and I don't know if this is original with him, but he said it enough that it sort of feels like it is. But yeah. if we're in a season of doubts, and let, let me back up just to say, um, if, if you haven't caught on already, like I, we both, we all here are very hesitant, very nervous about when someone's doubting or deconstructing or wrestling with something that we like, sometimes answers can be like, um, pigeonholes almost like, uh, yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of an example where, you know, like, oh our church is having conflict and so we're thinking of leaving it's just a lot of conflict and there's always yeah. conflict and well you know so and so's church like they always have conflict too and it's it's sort of a pigeonhole that keeps you trapped rather than thinking through like the particular conflict you're having and and like the way yeah. in which you're having this conflict and is this a toxic environment or something that should be you removed yourself from or can you actually be a positive influence in it um, it's just like just the reality of conflict existing out there somehow traps you into staying here. Um, sometimes, and I think sometimes I have given answers like that in in the uh, you know the the lack of like I find absolutely no compelling explanation for the problem of pain in any other religion that I've read about. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's very depressing to be honest, and. I don't understand everything in the Christian faith and where is God in some of the times of disappointment, but it gives like, I, you know, if you would have asked me five years ago, this would have been a little bit more of a shallow answer. And I I'm quite certain that if you ask me five years from now, I'll have an even deeper answer. But the more I read broadly about other faiths and other traditions of grappling with pain and like the problem of of chaos in the world like the more i'm just gripped with not only does the the biblical narrative define it well but it also offers hope for navigating through it um mm. and and so what, what what am i saying with all that oh just that i don't like i don't intend that to be a pigeonhole like yeah. oh don't you know you're not going to find an answer to pain yeah. out there um that's just that's where i'm at i'm settled that's why you are a christian yeah yeah and and so i'm willing if there's if i have a friend who's who's really wrestling with christianity because he's a christian and he's been doing all these christian things he's pouring in the service of god he's prayed he's read his bible and he's still experiencing just an onslaught yeah. of trauma like I'm not going to blame him for wrestling with that or even yeah. like exploring alternative faiths. And, um, yeah. Here again, we're getting into dicey yeah. territory, not because I think it's, you can go however you want. It would grieve me. It grieves me. There is a friend of mine. um, not super close, but, um, but a friend who I've had conversation with an acquaintance who has recently pretty much deconverted for that reason. And it, it really grips my heart and probably because that's one of the main reasons why I am a Christian um, yeah. is, is because of the story, like the story of God yeah. and how it 
explains yeah. that. Um, and so I pray, I pray for those people and I, I continue to be their friend and walk with them. And, and I want to be that, not that I can perfectly answer everything, but if, if I'm the only Christian voice in their life, as they explore some alternative faith, I, I want to be there. I don't want to insist that you come to my conclusion and therefore jeopardize like walking with you on that. Yeah. Having said all of that, one of the questions that Marcel has often, or statements Marcel has often made is that in, when you're in a season of doubt, you should also doubt your doubts. Yeah. Like if you, like sometimes we can, in a season of doubt, we can ha think we have authority in our doubts. And like, that's, that doesn't even make logical sense. If I'm, if I'm doubting things right now, I ought to be willing to be skeptical of even my doubts. Yeah. And, and that's something that I have, I think that's just a good reminder, a good posture, not only in a season of doubting faith, but just in general, in a season of, you know, we should kind of the flip side is when we're feeling really confident on something, we should probably be willing to inspect, inspect that as well. Yeah. Um, because we could always at any time be wrong. Well, any, any time. And I think this is partly why people have a hard time saying they were wrong, but anytime you realize that, Oh, I was wrong about that thing that I was very confident about before that should really humble you. And, um, and so the idea that, that I had this like incredible confidence before, I'm not saying people should be like unconfident about themselves and like insecure all the time and that that's like a healthy place to be. But I'm saying if you were really confident about this thing over here and now you're saying that you were wrong about that, I would think that very the very existence of that acknowledgement should then make you more humble about any new position that you take um, mm. because you could be wrong about that as well. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm just okay. <laughs> I, I just, I just feel okay with saying I could be wrong about this. I feel very strongly. And, you know, these are the reasons why, but mm. like, I could be wrong about this. Um, and I just, that's that assumption, like, is behind everything I say. Um, mm, yeah. And it's not, it's not a lack of assurance. Like I think sometimes there's people out there who are really, you know, they see the solution to everything we're going through in the world right now is to, mm -hmm. to become fixed on truth and like stand on truth and to be humble and acknowledge that my, my interpretation of the scripture, like I, I believe the word of God is true, but I might be interpreting it wrong mm -hmm. and, and saying something is like a clear truth that the word of God might not actually quite say it that way. Um, and so to be, just be humble about that and say, well, I could be wrong on that is, is to rightly is a part of rightly handling, dividing the word of God, not to just become really dogmatic on our, our interpretation. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, you could get into an important discussion about like, what is truth and how do you determine truth? And, and I feel like pe there's a lot of people who just want to say, well, read the scriptures, but, but any reading of the scripture 
requires an interpretation of it. Um, and, and so if you, if you like any, like, yeah, I, I can stand on truth of scripture, but like, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say that my, my interpretation of scripture is infallible. Um, and that's why, that's why I really appreciate like a, like a, what's the term, like a community hermeneutic or like a, mm-hmm. um, the sense of where like between you and the Holy Spirit and a community of brothers and sisters, you, you interpret scripture um, yeah. and you like strive to find truth or whatever. Well, um, and, and with that should always include the, the historical community as well. Right. Not just, yeah. 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 The historical community and, and, and obviously like, you know, if there's no one in your circle who understands Greek and, and Hebrew and whatever, like, like to me, it, it, it seems like a no brainer that you would go find someone who does, whether that's through a book or a podcast or a, a sermon. Um, and, and may, you know, may, yeah, anyways, the, the, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. But. Yeah. Well, and, and we're also, yeah, there's, there's a whole conversation we could have about uh, epistemology and like learning, yeah. like how, how we derive truth, how we, how we know what is yeah. true. Um, the, the, it's also true that like, just as a work of literature, there's always a best interpretation of the text. And so whether you're reading poetry whether you're reading mm-hmm. a book, I see your Bonhoeffer book on the back. Yeah, I was kind of embarrassed about that. Or <laughs> it's Eric that's about the only, Oh, yeah. It's about the only book that I can see for this, sure what it is. This is this used to be, it's kind of messed up now, but this used to be my um, World War II kind of violent section. And so obviously Bonhoeffer is going to be in there. <laughs> this is a tale of two cities. This is oh, a book okay. about Louis Zamperini. Anyways, so that's why that's there. It's not a full endorsement. <laughs> a full endorsement, yeah. Anyways, I, like there's going to be a best read in order to understand what Eric Metaxas is trying to say about Bonhoeffer. There's going to be one best reading of the text. And the same is true for yeah. the scripture. Like there's, there is a best reading, the best way to read that. There's multiple ways it could be read. And, um, and so that's what interpretation is. And I think sometimes like we part of what leads people to be a little dogmatic and what also leads people to deconstruction is when we kind of hinge our faith on particular interpretations of the yeah. Bible yeah, as opposed to our faith being in Jesus yeah, and in Yahweh as God and the, the compassionate and like, gracious God. There's, yeah and what, jesus has mm-hmm. given us peace with god like yeah there's there's a lot of interpretations that there are some things that i am fully okay with saying this is what i believe the bible says i think it's quite clear mm-hmm. on but i'm also well aware of the fact that i might get to heaven one day yeah. and realize i was wrong yeah and so as we have that conversation I'm not threatened by other perspectives. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the, the nature of 
salvation and exactly what is happening. Like, are we being irresistibly drawn to God or are we responding to him? You know, some of those questions. uh, Yeah. Anyways, what were you going to say? Well, no, no, I was basically going to give that caveat that like the, the problem doesn't lie in saying, Hey, like, I think, you know, I've, I've read about this and, you know, just, going off of the, the things that I have gathered, this seems to be the best interpretation. The The problem hinges um, when, when you say I could never be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no amount of evidence that could dissuade me from that interpretation. It's one, like, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to say that based on all the evidence that I have accessible to me, this seems like the best interpretation is another thing to say. I could never be dissuaded from that. Do do you, do you agree with that or? Oh yeah. 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 I would. Yeah. The, not only is it arrogant, right. um, I think it shows that your faith is like, I'm, I can, I can wholly say that I am like, jesus is my my rock like he is i am saved by through jesus and um you know i can be pretty dogmatic about jesus as i'm trying to figure out a a way to word it um but if i if i say that like um jesus you know, one, one, some debate is like, are we saved because of our obedience in following Jesus or are we saved because of Jesus's obedience in following? And like to, to hang my hat on that and be dogmatic about that. There is enough textual evidence in scripture that suggests both are at play. Like Mm -hmm. both are a component that yes, I, I personally really believe in this might some people might wonder, well, you just said you're Anabaptist leaning theology. Um, like the, a lot of the new Testament talks about the faithfulness of Jesus, like e- even the rendering of, of, um, uh, that passage in second Timothy, where he's like going through, um, if you deny him, he will deny you. Uh, but if mm-hmm. you are, if you are faithless, he remains faithful. Mm-hmm. I believe a better rendering is actually if you are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And and that would be more consistent with the whole story as a whole, where Israel has mm-hmm. been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, just, but yeah. there's, there's very clearly um, like within that passage, a call to obedience and to uh, being um, declaring Jesus as your Messiah and your need for Messiah in in the public um, yeah. sphere so there's there's a call to obedience so i'm not going to hang my hat on a particular interpretation of how i am saved in jesus but i am very dogmatic that jesus is the only way the truth and the life like muhammad yeah. is not that way you know um yeah yeah and, and to be dogmatic about Jesus is a form of humility, I think. Like, maybe I'm biased on that. 
but to recognize somebody outside of myself and outside of my own kind, my own human kind. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I, I shouldn't say be dogmatic, but like to cling to Jesus as the. I um, can I change the subject a little bit. Yeah, I um, I think I think a question that I really wrestle with is, we touched on this a little bit, but more specifically, why do some people who really wrestle and like give it give it all they've got, and I can't I can't determine whether they have or not, um but who seem to and have said that they really are wrestling. Like, why does God not show up for them? Hmm. Because it, it feels like to, for sure to say like, well, I wrestled and I wrestled through the right way and I wrestled thoroughly and you apparently didn't. seems incredibly arrogant um, hmm. because, because, you know, I, I probably haven't seen all their tears and, and their emotions and like how hard they, they tried. And I haven't seen all their experiences. Um, it also seems unhelpful. Um, and it, and it seems to encourage like this almost works orientation of like, well, if you wrestle hard enough, then Jesus will show up. Um, mm. Especially, especially when God promises that those who seek him will find him. Mm -hmm. And so like, why didn't these people find God? And the one immediate caveat is that like, they're not dead, you know, <laughs> like I, I tend to be very optimistic and this is maybe why I'm okay with people even deconverting. I mean, I, I say, I say that flippantly, um, mm -hmm. but like, I hold more space for people on that journey just because it's like, you're not, you're not dead until you're dead. Like, mm. um, people just so many times you hear about people coming back to God. That is just like, if, yeah. if I would, I would rather have like, like, I, I guess this leads to something else that I, that I wrestle with is like why people are so scared of people deconstructing because and, and I, I get it i get that like if if you're holding on to faith especially as a parent or an older sibling or just a sibling in general and you see someone who's maybe starting to deconvert or starting to go down what looks like that path it could hurt it would be painful that they're rejecting something that you hold dear especially if you think they're gonna you know end up going through hell um but, but, but there's also this sense of like, I, like my response to that then is gentleness and compassion. Why would, why would you suddenly jump and be like, no, don't ask these questions. Don't go, you know, don't read these books, you know, cause that seems much more like a, like a controlling response rather than a, like, I want you to genuinely find truth. Um, and like, why would you want someone to stay in the faith? without actually wrestling through those doubts that they have because those, those doubts and questions and whatever aren't going to go away yeah. just by you know yeah. I, I kind of forget what all i was asking there i kind of went down too rabbit oh the 
the thing of why do some people wrestle and find God and why do some people wrestle and not find God? I think yeah. I, I really struggle with that. Yeah. Um, and then also why do people respond with more controlling tactics rather than gentleness? Yeah. I think I, 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 those are really good questions and I want to get to your first question, but just a quick response to the second one, why mm -hmm. people respond to controlling tactics. I think, um, I think, let me, let me speak more from myself. When I have had that freaking out, mm -hmm. somebody is expressing doubts and, and like going in a direction that I, I'm not, I don't want to go. Um, that's almost always been because they're asking questions I've never mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Or, and this is kind of the same thing, I guess, but I don't, I don't really know a good response right now. Like I don't, I don't know a response that is going to just be convincing and, and bring you back, mm -hmm. um, whoever I'm talking to. So that's kind of the same. Although, like, there are things that I'm wrestling through that I, I don't necessarily know the solution to yet, but I can have more empathy with someone who's also wrestling through it, just because I have that same question mm -hmm. or I have that same. So if if I don't have that question, and if I don't know a, a convincing enough response then I do freak out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I also, I also think it's added when I can tell that that person is really struggling. Um, you know, responding to somebody's questions, I get questions a lot via email or, or messenger about, mm -hmm. about a host of different things, but maybe about church, like feel like giving up on church or, or some deeper about God and, and faith. And those don't evoke the emotion quite like, someone close to me looking me in the eyes and like talking about it and wrestling through um, so i forget what i was saying with that but just it's you know i can see the the pain that they're dealing with or going through to see it that kind of freaks me out a little bit more as well as not having a convincing enough answer and maybe not having the same question and so for myself, what I've learned is that when I feel that freaking, I'm being in like that freaking out, like, oh, you know, where, where are you going? And, and a, a quickness to maybe kind of want to jump in and, and like, just make mm -hmm. sure that we're clear on like the parameters of salvation and like the certainties of God. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like mm -hmm. when that feeling kind of rises up mm -hmm. and you want to for sure mm -hmm. make sure that we're, you know, not headed down some in that moment, I would just suggest anybody feeling that you're, you're being given an invitation to, to prayer mm, instead of, yeah, yeah. um, we're, yeah. we're being given an invitation to, to sit with, to listen, to ask questions, try to understand the person, not ask questions to, to lead them and not ask questions to get them like, mm -hmm. uh, so here's actually what you're struggling with or whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but to pray as you know uh christopher just kind of changed the subject a little bit through through a question at me and it things got pretty deep and pretty personal it, obviously these these are tough things especially if you're someone who has walked this journey personally um, and, and as 
Christopher has shared fairly openly, there, there are aspects of this as, as well as myself uh, where, where we have walked this journey. If you would like to, there, there's about a, a good hour, hour and 15 minutes where we discuss this more in depth and share uh, some more personal stories. Um, if you would like to access that, I invite you to become a member of Unfeigned Christianity. Just go to www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and you'll see how to access, uh, become a member. It's just $10 a month. You get access to all expanded versions of the podcast interviews, uh, past, present, and the future, as well as uh, the deep dive essays that we release monthly. Um, so yeah, I invite you to become a member if you'd like to access the, the, the last hour, hour and 15 minutes of this episode. Otherwise, I'll just flip it back over to the closure of this interview. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I um, I'm, I purposely left this toward the very last, but I think there will be some people who, you know, maybe we didn't we didn't have any conversation around like the the negative effects of the era of deconstruction mm-hmm. or like is it trendy? Um, you know, just like rapid onset gender dysphoria is kind of a social social phenomenon happening among mm-hmm. youth in largely largely girls, but I think it's both. It's it's almost cult like on social media. Um, is there the possibility that deconstruction is a social phenomenon? Like everybody's doing it. We have language, Mm -hmm. you know, my best friends are doing it. And so now Mm -hmm. I'm, I might as well do it. Mm -hmm. This is what I have to say to that. Why does that matter? If that's happening and you have a lot of young people or people in your life and you're not sure that they're actually genuinely like they're being influenced by negative things like mm-hmm. everything we've just talked about walking with them walking with them and the questions that they have like the way to gain an ear and to to have influence in their life to reconsider whether they've been socialized or not like is to walk that path with them like so figuring mm-hmm. out like and and condemning deconstruction is not going to stop the social phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and so I yeah. think, I think we need to deconstruct ourselves. Like, why are we, why are we so concerned about this? Why are we, yeah. so, um, why is this threatening to us? Um, we should still be walking with people, even if we, I mean, we should be, if there's kind of this insensitivity, self-righteousness, like, oh, this is just a fad that you're just, you know, you, you've been influenced because you were listening to that one musician that I told you three years ago not to be listening to or whatever. <laughs> like, then you have your own self-righteousness yeah. to deal with. Like, you're, you're not actually yeah. necessarily any better off. Um, you know, why not be like the prodigal son I'm sorry, the, the father of the prodigal son who could have told his son when he left that, son, you, you're not headed down a good road. Um, but instead, he gave him everything that he asked for. And then he was so intently watching his, for his son's return that when he was still a long ways off, he saw him and he went, went running after. I'm like, yeah. I, I think that's, that's most definitely the picture of God's heart for us. And yeah. I think as we are being conformed to his image, yeah. That ought to be our posture 
and not figuring out like whether we should condemn this concept of deconstruction or like make sure that people aren't just following a fad um that, that really doesn't matter um, we should still yeah. be walking with them as you said being compassionate and gentle um and, yeah. and we'll have lot as we're doing and i'm not just saying that in theory like i have done this with people as you walk with people you get all kinds of convenient gentle opportunities to raise a question about whether they you know i can't think of a specific example but to to help prod their thinking whether they've allowed like some trend to influence them Mm -hmm. like without making them feel Mm -hmm. condemned and stuff but if that's just kind of your default posture, then it will mm-hmm. make them feel condemned and they, they won't be coming to you for their, their yeah. deep questions. And I know that because there are people, yeah, there are people who have talked with me about things who have said they would not talk to other particular people. Um, so the posture we have is crucial to whether or not we're mm-hmm. going to be someone who can walk a journey with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Anyways, just thought I would throw that. No, in. that's no, that's really good. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, and uh, maybe you're going to be getting married. The I guess it's more like five weeks from now. Yeah. And. It'd be fun to have you on again sometime. Maybe, maybe uh, after you all have been married a while, we can interview you again about <laughs> this the 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 path towards romance from singleness. <laughs> yeah, Since that's what every single person wants is to be told how to do it. Um, Definitely. Do you want people finding you online? <laughs> you know, I'd be like, hey, go check out Christopher's. That's a good question. Um, no, that's fine. They don't need to find me. <laughs> you can talk to me if you have a question or concern about anything that's been said. You can contact Asher at yeah. asherwhitmer.com. Yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing yeah yeah for sure it was fun i'm always down to like just chat yeah yeah i think this is probably i told i told you before we started recording that this is probably the most unprepared i've been for a podcast before and which is evidenced by the fact that it's like way over my time (laughs) limit um but all those awesome. people who were complaining to us about our long podcasts <laughs> we'll just have to go somewhere else for yeah. <laughs> like a, a podcast app lets you pause and you can even it go does. listen to other podcast episodes and then come back and it'll just pick up right where you left off so it's see at, but at this point in the podcast we're just preaching to the choir because these people all listen to the whole thing <laughs> the only people listening unless i put this in at the very beginning I like i put, yeah. I put it in oh yeah there you, there, you <laughs> there you go there you go you should you should just do it at the beginning um, to get everybody i love hearing people's feedback because it helps me know like how i can improve the podcast and stuff like that but i'm very like unapologetic about the fact that just because you give me feedback doesn't mean i'm going to change something because there's there's a form of podcasting that i personally enjoy doing and so i want to 
want to do the best to serve you in that. Yeah. But if you're asking for 30 minute snippets, you're not going to get it. It takes 30, 30 minute podcasts to get tremendous amount of work. Yeah. Tremendous amount of work. Not, not only like after, after the fact, editing and and getting it trimmed out, but even just before, like thinking through it, preparing that you can have a meaningful conversation in 30 minutes that doesn't just feel like chopped up no but it has i mean there there are some wonderful 30 minute podcasts out there that have some art to it they're usually very stylistic yeah they're very stylistic which means a lot of time and more money has been put into yeah Um, but i i generally like just in a conversation like i love podcasts that are conversational that's what I listen to. Same. And you can't get very far yeah. in a conversation in 30 minutes. Um, yeah. That's why, like, really good conversations, you look up and you're like, wow, it's been an hour already. Yeah. And so, without apology. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are at two and a half hours. Anyways, thank you. Yep. Absolutely.